May I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Has there been a point in your life where your faith has been shaken? Has God brought about a certain trial that just shook you and made you question whether or not you really had the faith to continue? We often speak to other people about our faith and about how much we trust in God, but when it comes down to real-life trials, it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? I remember a specific time in my life when I was discouraged about a situation that was really outside of my control. I remember thinking to myself, purposely not directing this toward God, why would He do something like this to me? I mean, if I were in control of my life completely, I would not have put this thing in in my life. I thought, you know, it's not my fault that this is happening. And I started thinking about all the people who were to to blame because of this trial. It it was that person's fault. And if they would have done this, and the blame shifting started, and then I began thinking about what was going to happen to me. How much worse can this trial get? What happens if this happens? Then then where am I going to be? And then I was driving to work one day listening to a sermon from John chapter 11. You remember where Lazarus was sick and his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus who who was several days' journey away from him. And Jesus said, because Lazarus is sick, I will wait to go to him. And we look at that and say, well, why would he wait to go and take care of Lazarus? Go! You have the power. Do it. I mean, Mary and Martha recognized that. The Jews recognized that. When he came to the site of where Lazarus had died, they all said to him, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. So why does he do this to us? And the, the, the person who was preaching this sermon said that Jesus demonstrated his love to those people through delay, through causing them to wait because he had something better for them. Children have no concept of, of delay, do they? They want everything now. No, I want it now. I can't wait. I have to have it now. And I was acting like a child because I thought that I needed and deserved God's blessing now. But what I didn't didn't realize and I didn't focus on was that my mind needed to be on God's thoughts. That is, God knows more than I do. He knows more about what He's going to do through these, these different trials that come into our lives. We may not, but He does. Remember what happened with, with Lazarus? Do you remember how great of a miracle He performed as a result of His delay? If He had not delayed, He could have raised Him from, from His sickness, but he certainly, it certainly wouldn't have been as powerful as it was that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. 
And so sometimes God shows his love to us by treating us with a big dose of delay. It it may change our perspective. It may cause us to see things differently. It may cause us to to persevere and to do more for Christ. It may cause us to see Christ or God do something spectacular in our lives. Part of walking by faith is persevering with God in self-conscious choice that He really knows what is best. And that we must trust Him. Here in Mark chapter 1, we have a story of the leper that was healed by Christ. When he is told not to say anything to anyone, he rejects Christ's command and he, he goes and tells everybody anyway. Because he didn't see things from Christ's perspective. He didn't realize that Christ wanted him to delay in telling other people about what he had done. And if we're going to be people who are marked by faith, then we must come to Christ and properly respond to His work in our life. We may not see things as Christ sees them, but that's why we have to have faith, isn't it? Because we don't see things as He sees them, we have to trust Him that He knows what is best. Let's begin reading here in Mark chapter 1 with verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching Him and falling on His knees before Him and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left Him and He was cleansed. And He sternly warned Him and, and, he sternly warned him and immediately sent Him away. And He said to Him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Today we're going to see that Jesus shows His power as the Son of God by touching and healing an unclean man. Jesus touches and heals an unclean man. The first thing that I want you to see in verse 40 is that the faith that saves comes to Jesus. The the leper had faith in Christ. It says that the leper came to Jesus, beseeching Him and falling on his knees before Him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. The faith that saves comes to Jesus. You are familiar with what leprosy is. Leprosy is a skin disease. And the word here uh, for leprosy in Mark chapter 1, it refers to all sorts of skin diseases. But I believe that, that this is referring specifically, I think our translators got it correctly when they translated it, Leprosy, because look at the response to what happened. When he went and told everybody, verse 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. The point there is that 
it wasn't just some rash or chicken pox or something like that where if if the person who was cured of that sort of disease went out and told people, how would they respond? Well, they say, oh, you, you had a rash and Jesus took care of that. What does he do? Put some ointment on it? They're not going to crowd him like they do here in verse 45. And so this was such an uh, an unprecedented, an unheard of miracle that all the people that had heard about it came to 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 find out what Jesus could do. What was it that he could heal? If he can heal leprosy, then certainly he can heal my problem. Now, normally in those days, lepers were outcasts of society, and they were required to live outside the city. Turn to Leviticus chapter 13, if you would, please. Leviticus chapter 13. The reason that they were put outside of the city is not necessarily because it was contagious, because it's not clear that it was, but that they became ceremonially unclean. A person who touched a leper became ceremonially unclean, meaning they had to go to the priest and offer sacrifice if they wanted to be uh, in right standing before God. Look at chapter 13, and we'll begin reading with verse 9. When the infection of leprosy is on a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall then look, and if there is a white swelling in the skin, and it has turned the hair white, and there is quick, raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprosy on the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. If the leprosy breaks out farther on the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of him who has the infection from his head even to his feet, as far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look and behold, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce clean him who has the infection. It has all turned white and he is clean. So the, lepers, the, the leper in Jesus' day was an outcast. He had to stay outside of the city. And he could not come into physical contact with other people. Otherwise, they would have to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice. So the faith that saves comes to Jesus. This leper, although he was an outcast, he recognized that he needed to come to the one who could heal him. And so what we find with this man is that he had faith. He believed that Jesus could heal him. And that's why he comes to Jesus. But not only does he come to Jesus, notice how he comes in verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. He comes humbly to Jesus. And the leper came to Jesus beseeching him and notice, falling on his knees before him. He recognized that he was in the presence of someone greater than he was. And so kneeling was a sign of respect that he believed that Christ was greater than he because Christ was the healer. And so he comes humbly. But he also comes asking. The leper comes asking. He says, if you are willing, the end of verse 40, you can make me clean. This is an interesting statement by the leper because he doesn't doubt Jesus' ability to, to, to heal him. It's not, I'm not sure if you're able to do this or not, so if you can, make me clean. No, it is, I know you can, 
but I don't know if you will. And that is that is a significant statement about what faith is. Because faith is not about an understanding or a knowledge beforehand of what God will do. Because last time I checked, I don't know any humans that can do that. They can determine what God will do. So that's not faith. Faith is believing what God can do. What God can do. Let me have you turn to Daniel chapter 3 and I'll show you an example of this. Daniel chapter 3. When we think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we think of some great men of faith. But we often think that they knew what was going to happen. That they knew that once they were put into that fiery furnace, that they would be saved. But let me show you what happens in this story. They, they have no idea what's going to happen. Chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Notice verse 18, though. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So you see the situation here? Nebuchadnezzar is telling them they need to bow down before this idol that that has been made, a structure, a huge golden idol that represents him. And they say, we're not going to do it because our God can deliver us from you. And we know that he will deliver us from you. That wasn't, we know that he's going to deliver us from the fiery furnace. We know that he's going to deliver us from you. Now, we don't know if that's going to be death or if it means he's going to save us. And the reason that we know that is because verse 18 says, but even if he does not save us from the furnace, we still are not going to follow you. We're not going to bow down to your gods, and we're not going to worship this idol that you've told us to. You see what faith is here? Faith is not knowing about what will happen or what God will do. It's about knowing what God can do. And it's standing up even when things around don't make sense. I mean, can you think of a more difficult circumstance to be put into than what these three men were put into? They had to basically either give their life or obey the king. And they said, our God is greater than you and we're going to serve him, not you. And that is what happens here in Mark chapter 1. The leper is not putting his faith in what God will do because he doesn't know whether Christ will save him. He's putting his faith in what what Jesus Christ can do. So the faith that saves, first of all, comes to Jesus. Secondly, in verses 41 and 42, we see that the faith that saves is rewarded by Jesus. It's rewarded by Jesus. 
moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. God responds to our faith with action. Let me ask you to turn to Mark chapter 11. I want to show you several passages here in Mark where we see that that Jesus Christ, on behalf of God, rewards those who act in faith. Mark chapter 11. And look at verse 20 with me. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Turn over to Mark chapter 10 and verse 50. Jesus says, If you have faith, you can throw this mountain into the sea. Chapter 10, verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. The other thing that you'll notice here in the book of Mark is that Jesus often uses this phrase, Go, your faith has made you well. Let me show you another example. Well, before we do that, let me have you turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Now, I don't think Mark puts those two phrases there, that that all of verse 5 and then the first part of verse 6 together coincidentally. I think he puts them there because I believe they're connected. It says at the beginning of verse 5 that he could do no miracle there. 6, we could say, because he wondered at their unbelief. Because they failed to to activate, to, to, to put their faith in Jesus Christ, he could do no miracle there. Now, does that mean that that God is confined to what we do? Does that mean that God is not in control of all things and that He cannot do as He pleases? No. God is completely um, God is completely self-consistent. That is, He nothing outside of Himself stops Him from doing anything that He pleases. The only thing that stops Him from doing anything that He pleases is His own character and His own plan. But no person can determine what God will or will not do. But from a human perspective, God requires our faith, doesn't He? He requires that we believe in Him and what He can do. 
And so the pattern that we find in Mark is that as long as people were believing in Jesus and putting their faith in Him, that He was healing them. Turn over to Mark chapter 5. And I'll show you one more example of, of Jesus using this phrase that we saw Him use with Bartimaeus, the blind man. Mark chapter 5, verse 34. Well, let's start with verse 33. This is the woman who had the... Uh, hemorrhage, and she came and touched the cloak of Jesus. Verse 33, But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we need to keep in mind here, we, we need to balance this with the rest of Scripture. We don't want to take this too far and say, okay, if I just believe enough, then God will do more things for me. We know from the rest of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 specifically says, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith. So the means by which that we come to God is through faith. But does that mean that, that our faith in God is, is a result of us or is because we have done some great things? No. Paul says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, but it's not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God. He says he basically says no uh, three times. He says, but it's a gift of God so that no one may boast. It's not of works and so that no one may boast. Saying it's not because of you. Your faith isn't isn't because of what's inside of you or because you're a great person. It comes from God. So even when we do turn to God in faith, my point is is that we can't take the credit for it. We can't take the credit because it comes from God, doesn't it? And so, but that doesn't mean that just because it comes from God that it it removes us from the responsibility to come to Christ in faith. We have a responsibility to come. And whether we come or not um, is going to be determined by our how much faith we have in Christ. Ultimately, it's determined by God's perfect plan. So God responds to our faith with action. And what we find here in verse 41 is that of Mark chapter 1, is that Christ responds with compassion. Christ responds with compassion. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand. Jesus, when He comes across human need, He he responds with compassion. It's mentioned two other times here in Mark. Right before the feeding of the 5,000, He looks out into all this huge crowd who had not eaten all day because they were trying to hear more from Jesus and see more of His miracles. And it says that Jesus looked out on them with compassion and then He fed them. Same thing happens right before the feeding of the 4,000. Same, same, same idea. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus felt compassion for the two blind men and, and healed them. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus felt compassion for the widow whose son had died. And Jesus responded with compassion by raising this man from the dead. And so the point here that we need to see in verse 41 is that the compassion of Jesus Christ moves him to action. It's not some, oh, I feel bad for them. Jesus has the ability to to respond to these needs. And he does so with compassion. 
So the faith that, that saves is rewarded by Jesus. It's rewarded by a compassionate Jesus, but it's also rewarded by a powerful Jesus. I think the most striking thing in this, this entire passage that we're looking at is the fact that Jesus touches the leper. Look at verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Now, this was a significant miracle for two reasons. One, the Jews believed that only God could heal leprosy. Do you remember a leper who was healed in the Old Testament? Remember who that was? That was Naaman. Naaman had leprosy, and so he came to Elisha in First King, excuse me, Second Kings chapter five. And what you'll find there in Second Kings chapter five is that. Naaman came to Elisha because he knew that only God could save him. And because Elisha was a man of God, he would come to Elisha. And, uh, and so the, the people who studied the Old Testament, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they recognized that only God could heal, only God could heal leprosy. So the first reason it's significant is that only God can heal leprosy. Secondly, Touching a leper should have made Jesus unclean, right? Shouldn't that have made Jesus unclean where he had to take himself before the priest? I mean, how is he exempt from touching a leper? Everyone else had to go to the priest. In fact, the leper himself, after he was cleansed, had to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice. Why was Jesus any different? Well, this leper had been so ostracized from society that he had for long periods of time been without the, the joy that comes from touching another human being. Now, now, we may not understand this very clearly because we come up to people in church and we shake their hands, we give hugs, we, we have family members who we are close to whom we touch. But this man was unable to touch a person at all. And they had to go, because of their isolation, when someone approached, they had to yell unclean so that people would know that they were coming. And the reason that the leper did this, as I said before, was that if that person touched him, they would become ceremonially unclean, just as he was. But notice what Jesus does. He touches the man. He reaches his hand out and touches him. But instead of making Jesus unclean, like we would expect, because he touched something that was unclean, it actually did the reverse, didn't it? It did the opposite of what it should have done. It made the leper clean. And that is because Jesus has power even over uncleanness. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees had to be frustrated at this point because how could he do this? How could he not be defiled when he touched this man? But instead, his divine power, the, the divine power of Jesus Christ, invalidated the contamination and it affected a cure. It brought about a cure because God is greater than any disease. God is more powerful than any sickness. And so it highlights the fact, fact that it was a miracle. Jesus easily could have used his voice as he's done. We've seen him do it throughout chapter 1. He says to the, the man with the unclean spirit, be quiet and come out of him. 
We'll see in chapter 2 that the paralytic, he says, get up and walk. He also says to the paralytic next week, we'll see, your sins are forgiven. He does it with his mouth, but here he uses both his voice, I am willing, be cleansed, and also his touch to show his compassion for for the man and his power over his uncleanness. Then verses the second part of verse 41 and verse 42, we see what Jesus tells him to do. He tells him to go... He doesn't say, go clean yourself. Go do this. Go do that. No, He says, be cleansed. Or literally, be made clean. It's a passive thing. The person was... The, the leper himself was not doing anything special. He was all passive. It's because God was the one who was enacting the uh, the healing there. And what Mark says here in verse 42 is a word that he uses very often. He says, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Mark was showing that it doesn't take time for the power of Christ to be enacted. It comes about immediately. There's no delay. It happens right away. As soon as he touches the man, as soon as he says the words, the man is clean. So the faith that saves comes to Jesus. The faith that saves is rewarded by Jesus. And then the faith that saves should obey Jesus. Verses 43 through 45. It should obey Jesus because it ought to see what Jesus sees. Notice what Jesus says to him. And he sternly, verse 43, warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus gave him two commands. One, don't tell anyone about this. Two, go show yourself to the priest. Now, why would Jesus tell him not to say anything about what he had done? Wouldn't we expect that if Jesus did such a great miracle that that he would want everybody to know about it? Well, as I mentioned last week, I believe that Jesus was trying to protect himself from all this popularity that came about from everybody knowing. Look what happens at the end of verse 45. Well, let's start at the beginning. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. Now, obviously, this is from a human perspective that he was hindered in his ability to go into the cities. From a, from a divine perspective, this was all a part of God's plan, wasn't it? That God wanted it this way. That the people that God wanted to come to Jesus were the ones who really did have faith in Him. Now, not all of them did, but, but uh, many of them did. And when I say that the faith that saves obeys Jesus, I, I am not suggesting one way or the other whether or not this leper was a believer. We don't know for sure. I, you could make the argument that because he disobeyed both of Jesus' commands, as far as we know, that he could be an unbeliever. But if you look at Mark chapter 8, you'll find that the disciples were just as clueless. When Jesus had, uh, when Jesus had done all these miracles for them, remember the disciples in Mark chapter 8 were out in a boat and they had one loaf of bread. And they said, oh no, what did we do? We forgot to bring some food. 
How are we going to take care of ourselves? How are we going to feed ourselves? What they forgot was they had Jesus in the boat who had just fed 5,000, walked on water, and fed 4,000. And they're in a boat worried about where their next meal is coming from. So my point is is that if the disciples didn't get it right away, they, they were still confused about what was going on. They were still trying to figure out who this man was. Who is this Jesus? That this man very well could have been a believer as well. The Scriptures don't tell us, so we can't say for sure. But Jesus tells him two things. Say nothing to anyone and go tell the priest. Obviously, He did tell people. The first part of verse 45 tells us that He went out and proclaimed it freely. The second part of the command was to go show yourself to the priest. And the reason that He had to do this was because even after a leper was cleansed, He was to go and and become ceremonially cleansed as well. Leviticus chapter 14 verse 14 tell, I'm sorry Leviticus chapter 14 verse 4 tells us what he had to do. And we won't turn there, but he had to bring a bird or a grain offering to the priest and offer himself um, to the priest recognizing that he needed to be ceremonially cleansed. So we we come to verse 45 where Jesus could no longer stay in the city. The problem with everyone knowing about Jesus' healing ministry was that the people became too overly worried about what kind of things He would do rather than about what He was teaching. Remember, what did Jesus come to do? He ultimately came to give His life, but during His ministry, while He was alive, what was He doing? He wasn't trying to solve everybody's problems. He was trying to solve their greatest problem. And He did that through teaching his primary ministry while he was alive was to preach and teach the gospel, the kingdom of God. And so these miracles were really just a way to support what he was trying to teach. Let me have you turn to John chapter 6, if you would, please. John chapter 6. I want to read verses 22 through 40 and show you Jesus' thoughts on these people who, who, who were just looking for the miracles, really. They, they just wanted to see what kind of things He could do. They, weren't, they didn't really get the point of what Jesus was coming to do. John chapter 6, verse 22, The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with His disciples into the boat, but that His disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek Me, not because you saw signs, but because because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father God 
had set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That is me. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign that, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all, of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Do you see what's going on here? The people come to Jesus wanting to see more signs, wanting to, to be filled. Jesus said, you didn't come to me because you wanted to find out what, what was going on with these miracles. You wanted to find out about my teaching. You came because I gave you some loaves and you were hungry. And it filled you up. And you want to do that again. They said, I didn't come to solve all those little problems that you may have. I came because I am the bread of life. They were asking, well, well how can we have this bread that, that never goes away, where, where we never lose it? And Jesus says, you come to me. You believe in me. You believe in the one who sent, or you believe in the one whom God has sent. Jesus makes it clear that he is coming not to fill their stomachs, but to fill their souls. And so the reason that people do not turn to him in saving faith is because they have not come to him. And so we come back to our first point. Those who have saving faith come to Jesus. Look at verse 37 of John chapter 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Have you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith? Are you too unclean for Jesus? Maybe you've done something that you think is, is unforgivable that God cannot possibly forgive what I have done. doesn't matter how deep, how bad your, your sin is, Christ has the power of, to save because Christ is God. He has power over sin and over death. And He can free you from that power that is on you right now. Would you turn to Jesus in saving faith? Would you come to Jesus humbly asking Him, begging Him in faith, believing in Him? Because God says that all who come to Me, I will not cast out any of them. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read, There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. 
That is, there's no other name than Jesus Christ. If we want to come to God, we have to come through Jesus Christ. We have to believe who He is and what He did for us. We've seen that Jesus showed His power as the Son of God by touching and healing an unclean leper. Jesus has power over all creation. Nothing is outside of His control. Now, maybe you've already turned to Christ in in saving faith. Well, are you continually putting your faith in Him? Do you have even enough faith, like the leper, to come to Jesus? When you have a problem in your life, where do you go? Do you exhaust all your other resources first before you go to God? Or are you coming to Jesus, knowing that only He can take care of your problem? Do you have the faith to obey what He's told you to do? Now that He has saved you, do you have the faith to follow Him? Or are you simply, like these people in John 6, just looking for for more gifts? Trying to get more things out of God. If He could just satisfy me in this way, then I would do all these things. That's not what God demands. God demands that you come to Him in faith. Not because of the gifts that He gives, but because of Him. Because of who He is. It comes down to faith and obedience. Do you believe what God has said is true? And will you obey it? That's what it comes down to. And if we are going to be people who are marked by the Spirit of God, who have the fruit of the Spirit, then we should respond with a love and a satisfaction in God, a faith believing in God, and then following that up with obedience to Him. Let's ask God's help as we do that. Lord, we thank You for this time that we can come together, a people who are called out of this world to You. We deserve nothing more than Your wrath upon us for the sin that we have committed against You. And yet, You sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins so that we could stand before You having had Your wrath removed from our account and placed on Jesus and having Jesus' righteousness placed on ours so that we can stand before You clothed in His righteousness. Lord, we don't deserve it. And no amount of works that we can do can ever make up for it or earn it. But we do want to respond to Your grace with faith to You. To, to, to believe that what You said is true and that that You can do anything that You please. And we want to respond with obedience, but we need Your help. We need Your Spirit to guide us, to make us aware of the sin that has crept into our lives, the sin that we have hidden from everyone else, but not from You. Lord, use Your Spirit now to work in our lives so that we respond rightly to the truth that we've heard today. If we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen.